So again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. And if you are able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Once again, welcome to Providence Community Church. It's good to have you here. Uh, my name is Eric Ripley. If you don't know me, um, I serve as the Director of Missions and Outreach. And uh, like she said, we've been in a sermon series on the Sermon uh, on the Mount. And we're very excited about this. It's a, one of, really, I guess, the longest recorded sermon from Jesus. I'm sure there may have been longer discourses, but this is the longer, uh, longest discourse uh, from Jesus that we have in the Bible. And uh, there's a lot of good... Um, Good things to talk about in here, and so, um, like she said, we're in chapter 7, starting in verse 7, and we're going to be talking, subject we somewhat already covered, but maybe from a different light about prayer, Uh, and so what I would like to do this morning, uh, if you don't mind, is I would just like to pray uh, and ask God for His grace as we get into the Word, Um, and and then we'll we'll share some things from here that I hope will be helpful for you today, Uh, so if you guys wouldn't mind praying with me, bow your heads. Father, we, we, we love you. We love you, and we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're merciful to us, that you do not leave us abandoned as your children, but you give us everything we need, just as we said earlier, to know, worship, and obey you. And so, God, this morning, would you uh, help us to find grace in your word as we talk about prayer and what it means to ask, to seek, to knock, that we might receive from you, that we might find you. God, would you give us grace? I pray for those who may be in a position where they are struggling, God, to feel any type of excitement or fervency in their walk with you. God, would you lift the burdens of the dullness that we find ourselves in sometimes, and God, would you give spiritual life to us today? By the power of your spirit, would you infuse life into us from your word, oh God? And I pray against the enemy who longs to destroy your word, who longs that we might be distracted, that we might be hardened, that we might not receive from you this morning. But God, you are far more powerful, and so would you help us today, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So, yeah, so like I mentioned, uh, Court had preached a few weeks ago on prayer, and I, I, I went back and listened to that, and I was kind of looking at this text and some of the things I wanted to say, and I was like, man, I'm going to do my best not to be too repetitive uh, for you. But then I also remembered that even in the Bible, uh, Paul tells uh, Timothy that it's good for me to write the same things to you, okay? It's not a burden for me, and it's good for you. And so it's good for us to hear the same thing sometimes over and over again. So there's definitely going to be some overlapping truth. And it was a great sermon. If you haven't listened to it, I would go back and listen to it if you weren't here or maybe you just don't remember. Uh, really good stuff. Um, but we're going to be talking about prayer. Uh, and I think it's important as we look, because we got some really cool promises in the scripture this morning. 
Some really cool promises for us in prayer. As we ask God for things in prayer, God says, you will get it. That's a pretty awesome prayer for us. It's, a, it's an assurance that as we pray, we will get what we're asking for. But as you could probably understand from that statement, there maybe might be some conditions with that, which I want to talk about. But it's important as we get into this and talk about prayer that we understand a few fundamental truths about prayer and about how God, as our Father, kind of operates with us. And so I'm not going to go into too much in that, but here's a few things I want to mention. If our end game or our goal, if you will, in prayer is to get things that would simply just make our earthly life better, then we will not be satisfied in our prayer life and our relationship with God. So if our end goal, if our reason, which I would, I would probably say is maybe majority of Americans' reasons that we pray, if our end game, if our goal is just simply to get things that will make our earthly life a little better, uh, then we are going to be... Uh, we are not going to be rather satisfied in our prayer lives and in our walk with God. We won't be satisfied because that's not God's end game in our prayer life either. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that we don't pray for things that make our earth life better. It's not a bad thing, right? If we're sick, I mean, I, I pray that I wouldn't be sick anymore, right? If I uh, can't pay my bills, I pray that I could pay my bills, etc. Those aren't bad things to pray for, but uh, the point is that if, if they're the end within themselves is that we would get those things from God, then we have fundamentally missed what prayer is about, what our relationship with God should be like. It's not simply that God is like a spiritual um, like slot machine or something, right? That we can uh, just kind of put some coins in and get out what we want, and that's just kind of how it rolls. That's not what Jesus is saying in this text. He is not saying that um, basically we can ask God whatever we want to, and God, by his nature, uh, is obliged to respond to our requests, right? Like he's, he is obliged to surrender to us no matter what the request is. That's not what prayer is like, and I'm sure you probably obviously knew that. Um, but sadly, there are many people who teach that. They teach things like that. Like what this is saying is you just ask God and you're going to get it. But that's, that's not how it works. Um, the kind, um, what am I trying to say here? Okay, so if we, if we believe that, if we think, okay, basically what, God, what I use God for is that I can just get things from him, right? That's going to make my life better. That's what God wants to do. He wants to give me things that make my life better. What happens is this leads to uh, Christians that are frustrated maybe confused, maybe even depressed because God is not doing what they think maybe that he should be doing or what they think that he said he would do. God does not promise us an easy life. This is just a truth. If you read some of the words of Jesus, you're like, man, Jesus, this is intense, right? Even the Sermon on the Mount, it's been like that. Uh, but God does not promise us an easy life. He does not promise that he's gonna take away all the difficult things that we face. He doesn't say he's going to take all the trials away from us that come to us in life. God does not promise that. However, he does promise that we can know and we can trust him, right? He does promise that inside of the difficult things that we have a God who knows what's best for us and is working all things out for our good, amen? If we abide in him, all things are working out for our good and his glory and God sovereignly works that into his plan, but he does not promise that as we pray uh, because we're stressed out about something that he's just going to rip it away because he obviously doesn't want us to be stressed. No, God's end game is much uh, more important and it's, it's much more satisfying. 
Uh, he is longing to make us like him, right? It's what we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about how in, in this chapter, or in this, these three chapters, really, this is like Jesus' manifesto of the kingdom of God, where Jesus has explained what does it look like to be a part of the kingdom? What does it look like to live inside the kingdom of God? And, and, and um, he's been covering a lot of things on that, and that is God's goal for us, that we would be like him, that we would walk as he has walked, right? That we would be more and more free from sin and we would follow him. So this is what's going on in verse 7 and 8 here when it talks about those who ask will receive, those who uh, seek will find, those who knock, the door will be opened. It's talking about um, something greater than just the practical needs that we have on an everyday basis. Uh, Though it is important we pray for those and God does care about those, this particular text If we just generalize it to prayer, we're going to be disappointed. But if we look at the context in which Jesus is saying these words, because it's no accident that they're placed where they're placed, then I think we will find some really great promises for us. Um, So just to kind of give you a sum of the Sermon on the Mount, in in chapter 5, we kind of discussed, uh, like, like I mentioned, what is it to be a part of the kingdom, and then how should we begin to live as members of God's kingdom? In chapter 6, we talked... uh, continuing on how we should live, but also about uh, how we can trust God. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid, right? And then how do we live out true righteousness? It's not before others, but it's, it's to God, right? It's important that our relationship with God, we talked about secret prayer and doing things in secret, not to be seen by others. And then now in chapter 7, you kind of get this theme of judgment, which we talked about last week. And he kind of continues on that judgment theme and kind of mentions like God's judgment on us and the severity in which uh, the seriousness, I guess, in which we should take our Christian life and live for the kingdom and strive to enter into the kingdom. Or maybe to sum it up in, in a broader sense, um, God has been leading us in the Sermon on the Mount as he describes how we should live our lives. has been leading us to a place here where we should feel an utter hopelessness to live this out by ourselves. God is not just saying this is what you're supposed to do. Here's your task list. Now go live it. But what Christ is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's leading you to a place where you should feel like the Apostle Paul does when he asks, who is sufficient for these things, right? Who could do this? Who could live like Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7? The answer is no one apart from the grace of God, right? No one can do this apart from the grace of God. No one can be like Jesus Christ except Jesus Christ himself apart from the grace of God. And so God is leading us to a place where we would feel our need We would feel our need for God's grace to live the Christian life. No one should feel like we can live the Christian life on our own. See, Christianity is not just tips for morality. It's not just something that, you know, maybe you're not so good at, but you better raise your kids to do it, right? That's how we feel in the South. It's like, well, I haven't really done much, but my kids are definitely going to grow up in church, you know? That's not simply what Christianity is. It's much more than that. It's inviting you into walk with God, into relationship with God, into life with Him, and It is impossible to do it by ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives that we might live according to how he has called us to do. So my point is that when we look at this text, we got to keep that in mind. we got to keep that in context. And and Luke 11, which is another kind of rendition of the same teaching, he actually quotes the exact same thing about asking, seeking, and knocking. and there's kind of a, a snippet of there. But this is what he says in Luke 11, which is talking to his disciples. And I think gives a, somewhat of a clarity to what he's talking about as well. And Jesus says this, um, just kind of the end there in verse 13. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
and so he goes to even further clarify this text to say uh, not just anything but the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and I think that gives some clarity of what Jesus is going for. But the point is that Jesus is talking about um, our walk with God. He's talking about our relationship with God, our living like Christ. And so we, when we look at the prayer in this context, I think it will give us some, some light. Let's continue. Um, so when Jesus tells us to ask, and it will be given, to seek, and we will find, to knock, and it will be opened, um, not just giving advice on prayer, but he is calling us to hunger and thirst after righteousness, like he mentioned in chapter 5. He is laying out a promise here in Matthew 7 that is focused on us asking God that we might know him and walk in this righteousness. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, on this particular text, said this. He said, Ask for any one of these things that is good for you, that is for the salvation of your soul, your ultimate perfection, anything that brings you near to God and enlarges your life and is thoroughly good for you, and he will give it to you. Just to bring clarity to that. Um, and then as we move on here, I've got some points I want to go over, but if I could be just a little repetitive, because I think that's just kind of what I want to do today. Um, once again, I, I don't want to project that this means, that this promise doesn't apply to us praying about the small things. Like, you should pray for your sick cat. That is totally cool, all right? You should pray uh, for a flat tire. That, that God cares about those things, okay? I don't want to project this thing where God's like, I'm not interested in your small issues, right? Uh, if we can consider them small, maybe that's a bad term in general. Uh, I guess maybe less significant things would be, but still, it's probably even worse. Anyways, the small things, right? Uh, they're not necessarily less significant, but the, the point is, is that even the small things in our life, whether good or bad, God's aim in those things too is also your joy in him, right? Like your cat getting sick, believe it or not, works out in God's sovereign plan for your joy in Christ. Um, and so as we pray for those things, we gotta keep this in light. We gotta keep it in perspective, right? We gotta keep it in perspective that God is doing a work in us um, and preparing us for eternity. And so that should help us as we cling to those promises and remember that God is for our delight in him. He's for our growth. That's his aim for you and I uh, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing. So there's a few things, I think, as we talk about praying, and I'm going to use the term asking, right, just kind of a synonym for this right here, that we should consider, that we should maybe embody as we, as we try to live out these, uh, this text and really embrace these promises. The first thing is that we ask in humility. We ask in humility. And, and what I mean by that is what I mentioned before, right, that Christ is bringing us and should be bringing us to a place uh, in all of the Bible, really, where we, we experience and understand our utter hopelessness to live these things out, to do these things as we ought to do, to be like Christ, to live the Christian life, to pray as we ought, to, to serve as we ought, to believe the gospel as we ought to. Um, all of this is impossible. And Jesus wants to make sure we are there. And so as we ask, as we come in prayer, it's humility. The prideful person is not driven uh, to ask for things, right, because they think they can do it. Prayer is not something where we do because we're kind of obligated to, and we just kind of feel like, well, we should, so I guess we should pray, but really, we're going to go and figure it out ourselves. No, it's, it's walking in humility. It's saying, God, there's nowhere else I could go, right? There's nothing else I could do. This is it for me. If you don't help me, I'm dead. And so there is a seriousness in which we experience our need, and that's got to be where we start. If we try to pray, I mean, I guess it's anywhere praying is good, because God can work in that, right? But if we try to start from prayer as to say, well, we don't really need God, but I guess it's something that you know, we're supposed to do, it's a bad place to be. But it's in humility, right? The praying person um, 
sorry, the prideful person will not be a praying person, but the humble person will. There will always be excuses for us not to seek after God in prayer, right? We can always find those. And so experiencing an intense, real need for God to give us repentance and faith will drive us to praying. It will, and it must. This is what Jesus is doing here in chapter 7. This is what he's doing all throughout Scripture is he is causing us to lean into him in our utter helplessness and hopelessness without him uh, that we might beg for his intervening grace. And so to, to kind of give you an analogy of what our prayer life is, like, we are beggars, right? We are beggars with nothing to offer, coming to God and begging that he might help us. And we don't like this position because it's not our natural bend, right? We are not by nature uh, humble people. We are not by nature people who are like, man, you know what? I just really want to be hopeless without, you know, I, I want to need. That's not, that's not what we want, right? We want to be able to fix it ourselves. We want to be able to do it ourselves. Every person feels that. That's why we don't like admitting our faults. No one gets like a thrill off that. Okay? It's not exciting. Um, but it is exciting to watch God come in and intervene. And he's designed this way. He's designed all of our life this way, right? The world works this way because he is God. And, and, and he does this so that no one would boast. And so it's a beautiful place to be, to be humbled by almighty God. And, and I would venture to say that I think a lot of the circumstances that drive us to prayer, that God is using that so that we would be humbled, so that we would realize need. God is gracious to bring suffering our way so that we would just stop and realize, gosh, I got nothing without him. I can do nothing without him. Absolutely need his grace. So maybe we shouldn't be too quick to say, God, get me out of the situation, right? And we should say, God, what are you doing in this situation? Now, it's important. So we ask in humility. This is where Jesus is leading us to, and it's a beautiful place to be, despite how bad it feels sometimes. Second thing is, we ask with persistence. This kind of want to read over the text again. Let's start in verse 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And so we get, we get a few things here. Jesus is kind of being repetitive, I think, on purpose to emphasize a point. He says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Now if you read commentaries on this, you're going to get a lot of different ideas about what, what uh, ask, seek, and knock mean, Okay. And I would venture to say a lot of them are contradictory, and there's a lot of confusion there. So uh, I don't really see a merit to say that those kind of are like different like levels of desire or different levels of prayer. Like one's a quiet voice prayer. The next one is like, you know, you're standing up walking around. The third one is like you're screaming or something like that. I would just simply say I think all of these, uh, these actions uh, are there to say one thing, is that we are persistent, that we persist. God literally says in the scriptures that we should annoy him, right? That's what Luke 11 is talking about in that context. He says, you should go over to your friend's house in the middle of the night and just knock and just knock and just knock, right? Or he tells the uh, persistent widow that was begging the judge to do something. The judge said, well, I don't even want to help her, but if I don't, she's going to drive me crazy, basically. So he helps her, and God says we should be that way with him. God says annoy him. I, I had a, a, a wise old saint one time uh, at a church I used to attend, uh, he used to give me a lot of advice. He's kind of like the old guy, right, that just wanted to, to give people advice. And it was good advice a lot of the times. So I really loved that he would give me advice. But this one time, he told me, he said, he said you know what, Eric? He said, um, I only pray for things once. That's it. He said, I just pray for it once, mention it, never mention it again. Don't even think about it. And he said, because if you're all constantly praying for it, you're not trusting God for it. He said, so I have faith. I just pray once. That's it. Don't even think about it anymore. 
I remember thinking, man, that's some really bad advice, right? Like uh, the, the Bible tells us not to do that, right? It doesn't mean you have a lack of faith because you're praying over and over again, but it's really, uh, I think it shows a desire, right? It shows a hunger. It shows a thirst. It shows a want, right? Like if you really want something, uh, I mean, you're going to be asking for it over and over and over again. Obviously, that's not polite. We teach our kids that, but God says, don't worry about being polite. You ask me. Seek, right? That's what this is, is, is saying. You ask, you seek, you knock, you're persistent. And so there is a persistence in which we should um, be pursuing these things. And mainly our, our life in Christ, our joy in Christ. There is a persistence that we should have. So he calls us to persistent prayer. Um, now, I, I do want to mention this doesn't imply that we're earning by our many words, right? Like, uh, we're not earning our answers to prayer. That's what Court talked about a few weeks ago because the text said, basically, don't heap up just empty phrases because the Gentiles think they'll be heard by God because of how many words they use or how eloquent their words are. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that if, as long, you know, if we ask 10 times, it's kind of like filling up the power level until we get just enough power level to where we go to the next level and that's when God answers our prayer. That's not how it works, right? It's different than that. But there's a persistence in which we should have um, a constant feeling of our need for grace and fleeing to Christ for that grace over and over and over again. Persistence implies that we are not satisfied. We are not satisfied with the way things are. We are not satisfied with making our own salvation for us, but we are only satisfied with God intervening and helping us. We are not satisfied with taking things into our own hands, if you will. And this persistence thing, this really is the, one of the main themes of Christian discipleship, right? What is the Bible called? The good fight of faith, right? We, we are called to wrestle. We're called to strive. We're called to uh, fight. We are called to, um, I guess, kind of wrestle our way to God in a sense, right? And like I said, it's not by earning, but this is a theme of the Bible that we persist, that we fight, that we're, we're not okay with how things are. You know, when I read texts like this, I'm one burden for myself, but I know there's probably a lot of us out there that are in a situation where maybe for a while you have felt dull in your spiritual walk. You have felt like, man, I know that I'm supposed to read my Bible and stick my Bible reading plan. I know that I'm supposed to pray. I know that I'm supposed to do these things that the Bible's calling me to do. You sit through the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, man, I know I'm supposed to do all those things. This is all sound great, but for me, none of that is really happening, right? Maybe there's like an idleness to your Christian walk, or there's a dullness, or there's a sense of, I don't really feel like uh, alive, and so therefore you go off into whatever it is you may be to kind of fulfill yourself because you don't feel alive in your Christian walk, and I think Jesus is addressing that issue. Jesus is saying we shouldn't just kind of be, you know, you could be in that dullness long enough to where you feel like, man, this is never going to change, right? I'm never going to feel alive, like I'm just feeling down, but God is arousing us with his promises to take hold of him in prayer. He is arousing you to not be okay with how your Christian walk is. He is waking you up, calling you up, if you will, to, to stay awake, to, to, to fight for your spiritual life. There is a sense in which you, and I know it happens by the grace of God, but a sense in which you could just kind of coast you can be fine with just coasting, making sure you show up on Sunday, showing face to everyone, and have absolutely no foundation in Christ, have absolutely no vibrant, uh, continual, ongoing walk with Christ. And Jesus is saying, please don't settle for that. Ask, seek, right? James says, you don't have because you don't ask, right? Ask God, beg God to intervene. He longs to, he wants to. And so we ask, there is 
in this asking, in this persistence, this morning, a promised reward if we do it, right? A promised reward with this kind of persistent prayer. God says that the one who asks does receive. Every single person who asks will receive. Every single person who seeks will find. And every single person who knocks, the door will be opened. It doesn't say it might be opened if you do this, this, and this. It doesn't say it's a possibility that you might find it if you seek hard enough. It says it's going to happen. God wants and will answer these prayers for us. And so if you're one of those who have just kind of felt a lot of uh, faithlessness, hopelessness in your Christian walk, I beg you, God extends this promise of grace to you. He says, ask and you will receive. He promises that. So we ask in humility, we ask with persistence, and then we also ask our Father, which this is a theme that Jesus has hit over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. He's did it in the Lord's Prayer. He's done it when he talks about us being worried and how we should not be worried because our Heavenly Father cares for us, and he's continuing to do this. I look at verse 9 through 11. He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, so God says, uh, if you, being evil, know somewhat how to do this parenting thing and long to give your children good gifts, how much more so do you think a perfect father knows how to do those things, right? It's a rhetorical question. You're not really supposed to answer that. You're supposed to be amazed at God in that. But I, I think God, as our Father, is one of the uh, probably most... Um, I don't want to say this, uh, misunderstood thing of our Christian walk. Maybe I'll say that. Uh, yes, we know it. In theology, it's clear. We know that God's our Father. But in practice, I think we have a hard time walking in this, right? The way in which we approach God, uh, I think, doesn't always connect to our theology about who we are in God. But God is our Father. We are sons and daughters of God. And it's so important that you did not just know that theologically, but you walk that out in practice. You walk that out in prayer. You believe that as you pray, as you ask God for things, that you know he's a loving father. If you don't have that connection, it's going to be so difficult for you. You always feel like God's angry, right? You always feel like you can't come to God or you've got to be perfect before you come to God. But that's the, 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 you don't, right? In Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. There's a quote from Thomas Brooks. He says this. He said, God's hearing of your prayers does not depend upon sanctification, but upon Christ's intercession. Not upon what we are in ourselves, but what we are in the Lord Jesus. Both our persons and our prayers are acceptable in the beloved. That's the gospel, right? Because of not your righteousness, but what Jesus earned for you by dying on the cross for you, living the perfect life for you as the perfect son, we now inherit that sonship. We are now are sons and daughters of God and perfectly loved by him. And it's important to remember as we talk about God as our father. I just want to mention a few things about God being our father. That I think is really helpful for us. And I think we've got to understand as we talk about prayer, as we talk about approaching God and asking God. And here's a few things. One, uh, our father knows what is good for us. He does. He really does. He created you. He made you so that there would be certain things that are good for you, and he knows exactly what those things are way more than you and I know what they are. We probably spend a lot of our lives, and that's totally okay, asking for things that we think are for our good that are really not for our good. 
And we could probably all say at this point in our lives, what I would have asked for two years ago would have been really bad for me. I'm so glad God didn't give that to me, right? Um, and, and so you see kind of some wisdom in that. But if your father knows what's good for us, then he's not withholding anything good from you. I feel like a lot of us that are frustrated about our circumstance in life, we feel like God is withholding something good from us. Like, yeah, okay, maybe he's not harming us because he works all suffering out for our good. I get it, but God is withholding something good for me that I really want that would be for my good, and God is not letting me have it. That is not what God is doing. If God knows what is good for us and he is for us, then he is not withholding any good thing, right? What's Psalm 84, 11 say? For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Those who are in Christ, God does not withhold one good thing. God is not withholding anything good from me. That is a promise we could have. Our Father does not make mistakes, right? God's not like us, okay? God's not going to give a stone instead of bread. He's not going to give a snake instead of a fish, right? He doesn't make mistakes that way. We make tons of mistakes. If you're a parent, I'm sure you've looked on the past two weeks of your life and thought, man, those are some bad ideas, right? I do that all the time. Like, man, I think I went too far there. Maybe I didn't go too far enough. Or that was just generally a bad life lesson. I need to reverse that. I need to go apologize, you know. Uh, There's many mistakes that we make um, that we think in the moment may be good for our children but end up not being good for our children. Um, And and God is not that way. If God is our Father, therefore, he will not make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. I mean, listen, every circumstance that you find yourself in is not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's not something... Uh, God just oversaw on accident and it just kind of happened to you, but it is very purposeful. It is very good. It is very loving, despite how it may not feel that way. Because he is good. Our Father truly cares about us. He truly cares about us. He is actually interested in you. He's very interested in you. I know that we long for people to be interested in us, which is why we post like everything we're doing throughout the day, right? It's like if you're eating, you post it. If you're brushing your teeth, you take a picture and post it. If you, whatever you might be doing, right, you want to post everything because we long for people to be interested in us. But God is interested in you and your wants and your life. Um, he is desirous to help you and to make you happy. He really is. He loves you. Uh, And you can't overlook that, or you're always going to feel this awkward, I'm not really a part of God's family when you pray. He loves you. He longs to satisfy you. He is for you. He cares. Um, Here's another thing in light of that. If God truly cares for us, our future is secure, right? We talked about that uh, in in the kind of the do not worry text, but our future is secure. We have nothing to worry about in the future, right? Uh, We don't have to dread the future coming. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to be afraid because God is for us. And he cares about our ultimate joy and good. He is not tempted to give in to our kicking and screaming because it's something we want in the moment. God is not even a little bit tempted by that, but he cares for us and longs to give us the best things for us, right? God longs to do that. And I mention these things, and there's many things I can mention more about the characteristics of God being our Father, but I want to mention this because it's so fundamental in the way in which we ask God for things. It's so fundamental in the way in which we seek and knock and beg for God to intervene for us. Because if we don't have that world view that God is our Father, that God cares, that God loves, and that all of the things that fall under that beautiful truth about God, and not just know them in our minds, but really walk them out, really live them, really pray and approach God that way, 
then we are, we are always going to find ourselves wanting in prayer. We're always going to feel distant from God. We're not going to come in true humility like a child and say, God, please, I beg you, do a work inside of me. God, revive me. God, make me new. God, make me passionate again. God, make me, um, make me truly in love with you and to walk with you. So if I can maybe sum up what this text is saying here, it's this. Um, what is the ultimate promise that's held out to us today if we are in Christ? Here's the ultimate promise. It is this. If we desire and seek out those things that truly bring us into knowing God and following Jesus, that he is faithful to answer your prayer and bring you into his fullness of joy. If we are coming to God and, and really asking for those things, God is faithful to answer that prayer. He will. He does not leave us uh, in our utter hopelessness, but that is the means in which he drives us to him so that he could be our hope, so that he could be our hope, so that he could revive us. And so that's the promise that's held out to us in this text. Just to recap, it's not that we get to just pray with everyone and God is obligated to obey us, but it is that he longs for our sanctification, our growth in him, our joy in him, and he will not withhold that from those who ask, those who seek, those who knock. God is eagerly waiting to answer those prayers. And what's the coolest thing is, is you could be in a position where you don't even feel like you want to do that. <laughs> and by God's grace, he can still work that in you and still does, right? You could be at a position where you know it's the right thing to do, but you are so dull and don't care, and God would still be gracious to answer that prayer for you. So don't lose hope. God doesn't always answer that prayer in the way in which we want him to, in the way that looks the most neat in our lives, but God definitely does answer that prayer. Sometimes it takes a long time, but, but he does it by his grace. And then I would also say for someone who doesn't believe, um, though Jesus, I think, particularly is giving this promise to his disciples I think this does apply to those who don't believe in Christ. I don't know if that's anyone in here today, but if it is, I just want to extend the same promise to you, maybe in a different light, but to say if you are not in Christ, maybe you thought you were in Christ, realize you're not, maybe you just never really been sure about Christianity at all and what that means, um, God is still faithful to answer that prayer. God still says to you, ask and you'll receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you by the grace of God. Despite your sin, despite your shame, despite your baggage, God, by his grace, answers that prayer. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I would like to pray that together. I think that's important that we end the sermon by praying and just asking God to, to work this in us. And so um, let's do that. Guys, let's pray together. You can bow your heads. Father, you are our Father. And... We thank you for that. We thank you that you earned grace for us. Jesus, it's all by your works that we are healed, that we are saved, that we find joy in you. And God, now you extend this special promise and offer to all of us in this room today that if we would just ask you, we would receive that if we would just seek you out, God, we would find you. And that if we would knock on the door, God, you will not hesitate to open the door to us. And God, I know this isn't us earning any answer for prayer or anything like that, but God, you so long to lift us out of our spiritual deadness 
You are the only being that can make these dead bones live, arise, and walk. And so, God, would you help us? Would you revive our souls? God, for those who have just felt it such a struggle to know you, such a struggle to find joy in you and your word, God, would you change that this morning? Would you turn the tide? Would you lift them up, God, into life with you again? God, would you breathe fresh life into them. God, those who don't believe in you at all, who have never believed, you never trusted in you, Christ, would you breathe life into them as well? Would you give them the gracious joy of believing in your gospel, of believing that we are forgiven and loved and forever righteous in you by your grace? And God, would you encourage us as a church to pray to seek, to ask, to be persistent, to not be okay with how things are, but, oh God, to beg for more of you, to want you, as David says in the Psalms, to thirst after you, to pant after you like a deer pants for water. May our souls pant for you that way. Oh God, we need you. God, thank you for this promise as our Father. And as sons and daughters, let us believe it, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.